Hi, all, and welcome to the All Things Woo podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Ray. This is a place for spiritual beings as well as those that are spiritually curious to come together and share their experiences, talents, and beliefs. If you've ever been drawn to ghosts, aliens, crystals, mediums, psychics, or maybe you're just somebody that's outgrown the dogma of religion, then this is the place for you. I like to think of it as a place for all things woo. I myself am a lifelong spiritualist, a spiritual health and wellness life coach. I've been reading tarot for the past 14 years, and I also facilitate one-on-one breathwork sessions. I'm here to share my own experiences and bring my own take on spirituality, but I'll also be inviting other coaches, spiritualists, and experts on here to share info with you guys. And if you have a story that you want to share, then I want to give you the platform. So please reach out to me, and I would love to see if you can be on the show. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the All Things Woo podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Ray, and today I am here with Ms. Hannah Rednick. Well, it would be Mrs. Hannah Rednick, Um, but she is an empowerment coach that I've recently connected with. She works specifically to help you overcome systems of oppression that you have in your life or systems that have been built into your mindset. She is fabulous for that, and she also specializes in working with parents, and today I have her on here talking about some woo. She is a pastor's daughter and she actually has a different outlook on religion and spirituality and what those two things mean together. So I'm going to let her introduce herself and take it away. Hi, thank you so much for having me. How are Um, you? I'm excited to be here. I mean, I think that you said it best. My name's Hannah. I'm an empowerment coach. Um, I work with people to sort of identify the ways that systems, systems of oppression have been internalized and how to sort of work against those so that you can work towards the goals that you want. Um, and I do, I do specialize in working with parents. I have a particular style of coaching called parent empowerment coaching that I love and is so much fun. And I'm seeing your little one running around. He's super cute. Thank super you. Cute. Yeah. She's a fabulous two, mom. Yes. I have two little ones. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old and they are luckily at school right now. So hopefully we'll have a nice quiet time. Mine is not at school. So we hope. <laughs> But Hannah and I had talked previously before, and we got into, I feel it was such a good, deep conversation about religion and what religion is and what spirituality is and what those different things look like. And I was so intrigued with her story because she grew up as a pastor's daughter. Can you tell us what that is like? Because I know when we talked, you were like, everyone has this predetermined like stigma or a label for it. And Mm -hmm. I'm totally guilty of that. I definitely do. Um, but your story is great. What, what was that like for you? Yeah. So I, um, I grew up in LA, um, in Los Angeles. I grew up in a, um, very working class area of LA. My dad is a Methodist minister. My grandfather is a Methodist minister. My uncle is a Methodist minister. My aunt is a Methodist minister. So I have a lot of ministers. Um, and yeah, when people hear pastor's kid or PK as we're known, um, they often think of very strict religious parents. And then the, the kid is often very rebellious because they uh, had very restrict religious parents. Uh, and that just wasn't my experience. Uh, my dad and my dad's and my whole that side of the family that are pastors are very progressive Christians. Um, I grew up in a church that was very welcoming to all types of people from all backgrounds I mean, half, I think half the people in our church didn't start out as Methodists, but came there because they felt welcome there. I wasn't pressured to go to church. 
I wasn't shamed by my family for not going to church, although people at church shamed me for not going to church. That's what I think of first and foremost. I'm like, yeah. oh, wow, that's a whole lot of church. That is a lot of Jesus. Okay. Yes. But, inter- you know, it was interesting at church, there was a lot of Jesus and I definitely experienced a lot of expectations and pressures from sort of other people at church, but my dad, there was no pressure at all. Um, it was sort of more just like an invitation and like he lived out his faith in the way that he engages with the world. And I just sort of witnessed it. But my mother is the definition of a hippie. And she was really interested. And both of them were really interested in understanding all religions and faiths. She was also, she was interested in tarot cards and runes and yeah, and and everything. (laughs) And and she took us to um, spiritual bookstores and, and festivals. So I grew up in just like a very, when it came to spirituality, very open um, household and a very open sort of way of looking at spirituality and faith. So beautiful. Um, I know I shared with you, like that was not my experience at mm-hmm. all. I'm one of those people that I see like churches and when people are like, oh, you can come to Sunday church with me. I'm kind of like instantly like, mm, no, that's really not for me. That makes me uncomfortable. I don't feel very welcomed in that atmosphere. Um, I know not everybody has that experience. I know it can be beautiful for some people, but I just, I know that it's common to have people feel so jaded and judged and like brushed off by that. And I think a lot of that for me was, I didn't go to a church that had that. Mm -hmm. Like I had a lot of churches that were like, this is the way and you need to fix it. And you haven't been doing it. Then there's something wrong with you. So hearing the way that your dad did, it was really cool and comforting. And I love that he married somebody that wasn't (laughs) totally into it. Yeah. I mean, they definitely were, were an interesting combination, (laughs) but it was, you know, just the fact that he was even open to it. Yeah. Well, he's a very open person. Yeah. And I think, I think not having that pressure and my extended family was more traditional as far as having faith in the home. We didn't have a lot of Jesus at home. And I think that was sort of because of my mom didn't really want to have that at home. And I think it gave, sort of gave me an opportunity to choose. It, would, it always felt like I was allowed to choose whatever path I wanted to when it came to my faith. But I also loved church and I loved the people at church or like my family. Church was sort of my one consistent home because we moved a lot. Um, and so I, I felt really, I feel really lucky because it really gave me the opportunity to feel welcomed by it as opposed to feel sort of pressed into it, which I feel like a lot of people have the experience of sort of being forced into something as children that they don't really, they didn't really have the cognitive ability to choose. I think that's really common, not even um, necessarily intentionally, just like if parents go to church, then they bring their child to church. If they don't go, then they don't go out of their way to take their child. Um, I think it depends on the household, but yeah, I would have to agree. I think that's really common. Yeah. you had said that you had this conversation with your brother and it was the first time that you were like, Oh, well, I don't know about all of this. What was that like? Well, it was interesting. So my brother's nine years older than me and, um, he was, he's always, he's, we have different dads. He's always lived in the Bay area or most, most of, for most of my life, he's in the Bay area. And I was visiting him and we were walking around Lake Merritt. I was 14 years old and he was in a deep, 
philosophical Nietzsche phase. Um, and so he was very, I think we uh, all have one at some point. Yes, of course he was in his, or, you know, his twenties. That's when you, you know, uh, that's when you do that. So he sort of was trying to make me defend my belief in God, right. Which I had just sort of always taken for granted. You know, I believe in, believe in God, you know, I, I, I love my dad and my dad believes in God. This is what we believe in. And, and that was just sort of what it was. And he was really pressing me about, well, why, what makes you believe it? Like basically prove it, prove that God exists. And I was 14, <laughs> definitely not ready to prove that God exists, nor can anybody prove that God exists. That's why I call it faith. But I didn't know how to respond because I hadn't really thought about it that deeply. And it was sort of the beginning for me of, you know, at the time I felt really upset because he was not being very nice about it. Although I love my brother. He's wonderful. And he's now very spiritual, which is funny. <laughs> but it was sort of an opportunity at the time. It didn't feel like an opportunity, but it was for me to start exploring, okay, what do I actually believe and what really feels right for me? Not just what I've been presented with, but right. inside what, what does that actually mean to believe in something or to engage with the spirit or whatever it is? What does that actually mean for me? So it was a, a really pivotal moment in my sort of spiritual growth. No, I think we all at some point have that moment, right? Where we realize maybe this isn't what I want or, <clears throat> excuse me, getting over a cold over here. Or when we have that moment of, well, why do I believe this thing? Or where did this belief come from? Or where did this idea come from? Did that like spark any investigation on your part or? Yeah. So I think, you know, as a teenager, and then when I was an undergrad, I was sort of focused on other things. Um, boys as we and, are, right? You, and you and learning you and, and yeah, and, and all that. Uh, but I think, you know, in my mid-20s, I went to graduate school to get my master's in social work. And I had a professor who specialized in trauma, but she asked about, and I always throughout prayed and, and felt like I had a faith and a connection to God, but didn't really think about it too deeply. And then this professor asked a question in class about how do you connect to your spirituality? Mm. And I answered the question. I said, well, to me, it's always been sort of like an opening like an opening toward to connecting to something bigger than myself. And first, and she responded really well. And for some reason that sort of began a new renewed interest in connecting with that part of myself. I think I was learning how at the time I was learning how to be a therapist and how to help others and how to engage people's sense of spirituality for their health. And I realized like, wow, I kind of need to engage in this for myself. Uh, and so I started to really try to, to be purposeful about spending time engaging in that and, and seeing what it meant to me outside of the church, even though I love my church, that's, there's lots of social stuff involved in that. It's sort of like a big family. So there's all sorts of dynamics. Right. My relationship, my individual relationship with my, what I call like my connection to meaning and my connection to others in the world and the universe 
that I needed to spend time being purposeful about and really finding out what that meant to me, what it feels like to me and how it works in my life. I think that's a big part of it too. I like how you said that, especially um, being in such a like care focused, highly demanded um, career to be a social worker. You know, you see so many different people with so many different situations and beliefs and it's constantly about helping others, which Mm -hmm. is a really powerful thing to do but also how often do the helpers like take time for themselves and look at it yes I, I like what you said about the church having so much community but never really realizing like this is what it looks like as a whole what is like my individual piece of it yeah Did you ever find anything that really worked for you like do you have a small spiritual practice that I you don't mind sharing like I know sure. they get no no I'm I'm in general a very open book about everything. (laughs) So yeah, I have in over the last 10 years or so, just being really open and and paying attention to like, okay, what does it feel like when I'm really connected spiritually? And when I feel really connected to not just myself, but to something bigger. Um, And, you know, explaining those things with words is always hard because it's just bigger than words. But for me, I just started, okay, I I started noticing, okay, here's what that feels like. Mm -hmm. And then where do I feel that? So for me, one of the things I started doing hikes and I've always loved camping. I grew up camping because I was, we didn't have money for vacation. So we went camping. (laughs) So um, whenever I'm in nature, I feel that. I feel that connection to something larger. I feel that closeness to God. I believe in God. So for me, that is God, but that doesn't have to be for other people, but I feel that sense of connection in nature. I feel it when I'm dancing. I love dancing. Um, I feel it when I listen to certain kinds of music Mm -hmm. that, that there's just sort of something bigger that my body and my spirit is engaged at a higher level. So for me, I try to hike. I have a small hike near my house that I do try to do every day with my dog, who also I feel like is a gift from heaven. And, um, and I try to dance. I do like dance workouts like a couple times a week just so I can yeah. have like purposeful time to dance. I have dance parties with my kids and I try to be personal, purposeful about listening to music because I got in the habit of just listening to podcasts and books on tape all yeah. the time, yeah. which I love. And I wasn't listening to music as much. And I realized, oh, wait, that actually feeds something to my soul that I really need. So for me, it was about noticing and then finding where I felt that and then making purposeful time to engage in it. Um, That feels really good and fun and light and joyful instead of like you have to pray before bed or you're going to go to hell. That doesn't feel fun and light and joyful. So it's finding those things that sort of fill me up and make me feel really connected. I like that you look at it as a way of like putting your body into ease. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a really big like spiritual principle. And I don't know how often it's brought up in churches and more religious groups. My personal experience, I guess it depends where you go. Um, But my personal experience is this is stuff that you have to make time for. Because if you don't make time for it, like you said, you're going to hell. And it feels very like fear-based and negative and like restrictive. But the way that you talk about it, you're still holding that belief in God and you're just connecting to it in a different way through music, through dancing with your kids, through going outside. Like it doesn't have to be a huge structured, I don't know, I don't practice rule. It feels like rules to me. I don't know. If yeah. That's way to no, that's exactly that. it. Right. When we think of rules, we think of like, ew, I don't like, people don't like say hearing, here are the rules. Right. And with something as 
important and beautiful as your connection to the meaning and connection to the world and connection to the universe, like putting rules on that, it feels very antithetical, right? Because it's supposed to be expansive and big and open and, and, and with endless possibility, whatever it is. And then (laughs) to say, but you can only do it this way. And if you don't, you're wrong. Um, it, it feels like an area where shame shouldn't live, but for so many people, it's an area. And like you said, it's not people intentionally doing that. People are raised in a lot of um, religions, a lot of cultures to think this is the only right way to do something. And if you do that this way, you can be a good person and you will get good things. And if you don't do it that way, you're a bad person and you will get bad things. And in some ways that can feel comforting because it's like, okay, I know the rules. If I do all these things, I'll be good. Right. Have it very black and white. Right. Yeah. The problem is it leaves people out. There's always somebody who that is isn't very good. black and white. <laughs> and it, and yes. And that it, and it leads to oppressing people and it leads to leaving people out and shaming people. And it leads to a lot of, of self-oppression of, of internalized shame where I, I am bad. I can't follow these rules because they, most of those rules are not really followable in a real way. Human beings are complex and fallible and, and, and we have so many facets to who we are. It's very difficult to follow specific rules all the same way. Right. So then you inevitably end up feeling a lot of shame about who you are. So I, I mean, I think religion can be a beautiful thing for people when it works right, when it works well for them, but when it works in a way that makes people feel shame, that creates hatred for, for people who are considered outsiders, that's when it can get really damaging. Yeah, I would have to agree. And you said something um, when we spoke before about like the church has done things to people and they're valid in feeling the way that they feel about it. Absolutely. There, before we had this interview, you guys, we had a really long (laughs) pre-interview because we kept getting off topic and um, we got on these different tangents, but it's because it was so nice and it was free flowing and she was very honest and open. And she said, I totally understand where other people come from. Like she's not holding any judgment or resentment or anything for anybody who doesn't feel solid and rooted and um, welcomed in religion. I was kind of hesitant to share with her that like, that wasn't really a place that I found a lot of comfort. And she was like, that is so okay. That's so valuable. Um, the church has done things and like the stigma of religion has done things to certain people that does make you have certain reactions and it does make you feel unwelcomed. And that is okay. You are totally valid to have those feelings. And that was just like that one little bit that you said was so like forward to me and so open and so accepting and like more of what I personally feel like religion and spirituality should be like. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's different for everyone and what works for everyone is what works for them. There's no, I personally don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to do it. Absolutely. Um, but it was so nice and refreshing to hear it from a pastor's kid. I No, but I, it, but it's true because again, I grew up in a very different, I think, like I said, when you think pastor's kid, you might think of something else. I grew up mm-hmm. in a very progressive, open church. Um, but I know a lot of people and I've worked with a lot of people who have a lot of um, pain and trauma from their religious upbringing, whatever that religion is. And there are a lot of religions out there. um, And there are people who found a lot of grounding and value in it. And there are people who are very damaged by it, right? And when I say I work with systems of oppression, 
religion can be one of those yes, systems. I was just going to get there. <laughs> Have you seen a lot of oppression? Yes, of no, that? absolutely. Because like I was saying, when we create a system that basically says, believe in this higher power, but know that if you do something that we say that higher power doesn't like, then there's something wrong with you. That creates, that can create a, a lot of trauma and a lot of internalized shame, right? You know, I believe in, in God. That's something I believe in. And the God that I believe in is not down with that. <laughs> right? So like would never say that there is a type of human being that's wrong. I would never say that there's a type of human being that should feel shame about who they are. Um, and what, what I tell my children is here's what I believe. Now you get to go and explore and figure out what you believe, whether it's anything or nothing, right? There is nothing that you can believe that is wrong as long as you're not hurting or oppressing other people, right? That to me is the only caveat. That's the only rule is right. you can't use your beliefs to hurt others because that's not okay. But besides that, I want my children to learn everything they can and to explore and be purposeful about their connection to meaning so they can develop something really beautiful that works for them. That's, that's really helpful in having a whole authentic, like joyful life. Right. And so, you know, I don't want my children to grow up feeling that there are these spiritual rules that are oppressing for them. And for those of us who, who grew up that way, the people who, who have grown up with those rules, because even though I grew up in a progressive church, there's a lot of religious dogma that's very sexist yeah. um, that I internalize that I've had to process, right? Um, so, and for anyone who's grown up that way, who feels some of that internalized shame, it's really important to acknowledge it. It's really important to identify how it's working in your life so you can start shifting the narrative and shifting your perspective because now you're an adult now you're in charge and you get to say what's right and wrong and you get to decide what you believe about yourself and where it's coming from and sometimes that just takes a little work and sometimes it takes the help of somebody else to kind of mirror it back right. to you and to notice where those patterns are popping up I love that I was gonna I was like listening to that and I was like yeah yeah that's really good you're right like <laughs> I felt very empowered just in that little speech. <laughs> well, that's my goal in life. So. <laughs> hey, well, you're very good at it. Thank you. Oh, I I like that a lot. And when you work with others, um, getting rid of those systems of oppressions and stuff, what does that look like with parents? Do parents ever bring that question up to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I actually these like huge concepts up to children. You know, I know as a mom and it's different for everyone, but I know that as a mom, I have stopped so many times to be like I don't know if I'm doing the right thing I don't know if I should show you this I don't know if we should have this conversation yet I don't know if it's too early I don't know you know it's just one of those big things where I want it to be open and expansive and like fluid for her as she grows up for everything for all things parenting mm -hmm. it's daunting you just don't know and I I'm always like oh what memory is going to stick with her are you going to remember this one time that you were in your room in timeout for forever because I didn't give you ice cream for dinner. I doubt she's going to remember <laughs> the ice cream for dinner. She's going to remember that I put her in her room and like, mm -hmm. you know, it just, it can be such a spiral. So what does that look like when people come to you for parenting? So, yeah, I mean, I think that example, what you're talking about is, is the thing, right? 
you know, when I say I'm a parent, when I say I'm a parent coach, I don't teach people how to be parents, right? I help parents to, to feel empowered themselves. And that actually, of course, impacts how we parent, because when we're in a really good place, our parenting is better. I know when I'm tired and stressed out and haven't been taking care of myself, I'm not as good a mom. I snap more. I'm irritable more. I'm tired more. Right. But when I'm caring for myself, when I'm getting enough exercise and getting enough sleep, I'm focusing on my own needs. Then I am able to have fun with my kids and sit down for 20 minutes while they scream without, upset, which happened last night. Um, it happens. But a lot of what I work with, honestly, is trying to take that shame out of parenting, right? Trying that the whole concept of mom guilt, I'm using quotations here, um, or parent guilt, because dads feel it too, um, is sort of, but moms feel it in a specific way because there's a lot of patriarchy involved in parenting. Um, there's a lot of pressure, particularly on, on parents who identify as female, uh, to be one way to be a quote unquote good mom and what that looks like. And our society's vision of a good mom is absolutely impossible. So we are consistently feeling like failures because you're not supposed to, as a mother, have a full range of emotions, right? You're not supposed to get mad. You're not supposed to cry in front of your kid, whatever it is. And my philosophy on parenting is my kids need to see me be a full human being that I do get angry, but how do I deal with my anger? Right. That I do make mistakes, but what do I do when I make my mistakes that I get, I grieve. And this is what grieving looks like because they are going to have to be whole people. And if we make them think that moms are these superhumans who can always do everything, we're setting them up to expect that of themselves or of their partners. And I don't want to keep that cycle going. I would love for, for, for all parents and moms in particular to be able to be human beings (laughs) and not feel guilty about it. I know it's a shocking concept. It's a shocking concept. Uh, yeah. So I work, I do a lot of processing things like that. Like, okay. I, I yelled at my kid. I'm a horrible mom. It ruined my night. I can't focus on work because I can't stop thinking about it. And I say, okay, let's stop. Like, let's look about where that feeling is coming from. And I have an activity that I can teach you and, and your listeners, which is like, put your hand on your heart and take a deep breath and ask yourself, is this expectation coming from what I really believe I should do? Or is this coming from outside of me? Because if it's coming from a system of oppression, if it's coming from patriarchy or, or systematic racism or whatever it is, and we're internalizing that and putting expectations on ourselves that are actually oppressive, it gets in the way. So if you can put your hand on your heart and connect to what do I really think is right? Not what is, what is the outside world expecting of me? Right. You can parent from a much more authentic place because they don't need a cookie cutter parent or a quote unquote perfect parent. They need you and the unique gifts that you bring to being a parent and the unique beauty that you bring to being a parent. That's what our kids need. I love the whole conversation because it all comes back. You know, it's all so circular. Like when you were talking about being a social work student and how you were like, oh, I need to take time to connect to me because how can I help others if I'm not connected to me? And then Mm -hmm. when you look at being a parent, it's true. Like you really do have to, I always think of that really cheesy airplane demonstration where they're like, put your own oxygen mask on. 
And you're like, I would probably never do that. But it's so crucial to do that because yeah. if you're not at your best, you can't give to others. So that exercise piece, that having a spiritual practice piece, that is this really a value of my own or is this an outside value that is causing me stress and like discomfort because I don't even really feel like it fits, but mm-hmm. I want it to fit because, yeah, because who said, exactly. I know a lot of that for a lot of people that I work with, a lot of that really comes through like family expectations of like mm-hmm. my mom and my dad say this, or my parents say this, or um, most of my family members do this. And they're like, but I don't like that. And it's so hard. It's so easy to tell other people, okay, then don't do it. But it's so hard to be the person in the middle that is like, I don't like that, but that's what is necessary. Mm-hmm. And then you have to really dismantle who decided that's necessary. Yeah. Such important inner work. And I love that you have that piece for such a range of people because, you know, like you said, every person is unique and every person has their own unique gifts. So there is no one size fits all. Absolutely. And you also had said one time when we were talking before, you were talking about how if people had done Christianity the way that your dad did it, like we wouldn't have to have these complex conversations or have coaches for this type of thing because everybody would be welcome yeah I mean I think in general that's the idea right with any kind with well with anything with our connection to meaning or spirituality or religion but really with everything is that if we believe in the inherent value of all people that all people are valuable including ourselves which is usually the hardest one that there's a lot we really don't have to deal with anymore if we can really really deeply accept that all people are of of value and worth then we don't have there's so much that we could not have to deal with anymore but again it like you said it's way easier said than done and it takes a lot of work and I work with clients on that really hard because it's really hard to internalize a sense of of true value but it's a really beautiful thing when you can When you can, I think it's definitely something people strive for, even if they don't know that they're striving for it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes taking that break to reconnect to self and look at it is more powerful than anything. Like it's that first step of recognition. Absolutely. I know you don't specialize in this, but you also mentioned that you do have pastors, like you pastors that it's not your area of focus, but you do have youth pastors that are coming to you or like a more modern and progressive and open way? Well, so I, um, yeah, I do have um, one of the funnels where I get clients Mm -hmm. um, is an organization that um, is a progressive Christian organization. And they work with um, people who are young pastors, people who are wanting to, um, you know, create progressive Christian faith organizations. Um, and it's just interesting the way that the universe works. It wasn't something that I went looking for, but then here it was. And I'm, I'm, um, and I love it. I mean, I love working with any, any, any person because all people are so uniquely wonderful. Um, but you know, as a PK, right. (laughs) And seeing these young pastors and many of them have children and, 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 and helping them to sort of identify what they really, how they really want to live out their faith and their, their purpose and, and having to process some, cause some of them have had very damaging religious upbringings. Yeah. And yet even through that, they've found that they want to participate in religion, that they want to be pastors and to help other people. And they, and their purpose is to help other people 
grow up in a different kind of religious upbringing. And so to help them in this sort of transition period where they're processing and sort of they're, they're letting go of what they grew up believing, or at least they're trying to re, renegotiate that with themselves, right? right? Um, being able to work with them in that period and, and, and ask the right questions to sort of help them to get in touch with what their real purpose is and how to live that out. It's really powerful and special for me, you know, being from a, a, path, a family of pastors who I all love, I love very much to be able to sort of um, do work for, for these young, younger pastors who are, are on the beginning of that path, I think is, yeah. I, it's been really great for me. I really take comfort in that as somebody who's never really felt welcomed in organized mm-hmm. religion. Uh, it's like, you know, change is coming. Like this dogma and this structure doesn't have to stay in place forever. Like there are people that are open to changing it and there are open-minded. Um, I don't want to say just Christians, but I feel like Christians are the ones that I have the most experience with. But yeah. for anybody, just the idea that people are opening up to having more um inclusive mm-hmm. having more inclusive practices and in churches and so I think that there's a lot of comfort in that there is at least for me I'm sure there are other people out there that find comfort in that so I think it's really beautiful that you were able to take this journey and come full circle with it and then incorporate all of the things that are important to you you know like motherhood and parenting and different systems like racism or whatever else people come up with there's so many there's so many yeah <laughs> um, but I love that. I think it's a beautiful mission. And I feel like you're doing really great work from everything that I've seen from you. It's awesome. And I've seen your kiddo, only the youngest. I think the little guy. Yeah, he's pretty cute. But he is. He's adorable. <laughs> and he's happy. And he's so polite. And like, I feel like you're really walking in your purpose with this work. And I love to see it. Thank you. I'm trying. I, I you know, I think one of the be- most beautiful things you can do is figure out your purpose and live it. And that doesn't mean life is easy, but I feel I love the work that I do and it makes me feel alive. And I feel really lucky that I have been able to figure that out. We all strive for that. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, one of the lucky ones, but if anyone is listening and you're like, Ooh, I don't really know. I know I feel oppressed in this area. or I know I struggle as a parent. Then Hannah is an amazing resource and I'm going to put all of her info, her um, links, places to connect with her all down in the show notes. And is there anything that you want to add before we go? Um, I, yeah, well, thank you for having me. And I would just encourage anybody listening to um, whatever your history or experience is, if you think about it as a connection to meaning and think about it being purposeful as like finding what feels really good to you. I would just encourage everybody to do that because it can be a really powerful experience. I feel like that's the best place to start, really. Like mm-hmm. identifying. <laughs> I came with the identifying, which sounds so simple and it's so often overlooked. Yeah. I will put all of that info in the show notes for you guys. I will put all of her social media links or whatever websites, all that good stuff down below. And you guys can follow her on Instagram and connect with her. If you can't find any of her stuff for some reason, you can reach out to me and I will also send it your way. And thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me.